helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 weekdays on Vision Christian Radio. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. The flow of the world is very powerful and everybody's going the flow of the world and the flow of the world moves away from God. You have to be intentional to do what Jesus is asking you to do. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. Pastor Jeff has been keen to share this series for a while. It's a series called Remarkable and it's based in the book of Mark. In this episode, we're going back to basics. What we believe about Jesus determines everything. So before we reject Jesus or accept His rule in our lives, let's be informed about what Jesus taught and what His true mission was and what that means for us today. We're in Mark chapter 1, so turn there now as we get started with Pastor Jeff on Today with Jeff Vines. I'll tell you, I've been waiting a long time to deliver this series of messages. And so I want you to turn over to Mark chapter 1. And uh, let me start like this. This past weekend, or this past Monday, I actually visited my cardiologist. Now, those of you, I'm not going to go back into that story, but you've heard me talk about how I'm having these attacks and nobody can tell me why. It's kind of like blood pressure goes up and they've tested me for everything. They think I'm having what they call anxiety attacks. And if you've had those, you know, they come out of nowhere. It doesn't have to be for any reason at all, but they're pretty scary. So when you have them, you're convinced that you have heart problems. I mean, no matter how many people tell you that, you think you're dying of a heart attack because that's what it feels like. And so I go to my cardiologist and uh, I'm sitting across the table from this guy. By the way, he's Dr. Abraham. (laughs) And he looks just like Abraham. And uh, I say, look, you know, I tell him all these things uh, the way I feel. And he looks at me and he says, Jeff, listen to me. We've done echocardiograms. We've put you on the stress test. We've done EKGs numerous times. I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with your heart. And I said, but I feel, and he goes, look at me, Jeff. (laughs) Hear what I say. There is no objective evidence whatsoever that there's anything wrong with your heart. Now concerning your head, that's not my job. (laughs) But there's nothing wrong with your heart. And I thought, man, there's no, that actually helped me. That's my language. So he talked my language. He says, there is no objective evidence. Now, the reason I've been anticipating this series is because over the last, I guess, 20 years, there have been so much written about Jesus in Time, in Newsweek, by the media, by politicians. I mean, both the Republicans and the Democrats both think Jesus is on their side. If you know anything about their positions, that's impossible. Can't be on both sides. And so I meet friends now who tell me when I say, hey, would you like to follow Jesus? They'll say, where's he going? Or what do you mean, which Jesus? It's been so 
uh, contradictory and convoluted that when you talk about Jesus to people in our world today, they're thinking, well, who are you talking about? Because it's so messy now. I remember reading one article in Time Magazine, this has been a few years ago, where they interviewed six or seven people asking them to describe Jesus, and many it was a myriad of contradiction. All of them cannot be true based on the law of non-contradiction. Remember what we said? You can't make two opposing statements about the same thing and they both be true. So I thought, okay, even to my skeptic friends who tell me, Jeff, uh, I don't believe in Jesus. And then they'll tell me the Jesus they don't believe in. And I'll say, I don't believe in that Jesus either. Where did you hear about that guy? So if you're skeptic or you're on your journey and you're going to reject Jesus, I just wanted you to be able to reject him from an intellectual point of view, at least be knowledgeable about who Jesus is. So we came up with this series called Remarkable, emphasis on Mark. We want to go back to the objective source, not feelings and emotions, but let's go back now. And I want you to do me a favor through this whole series. I mean, we're going to have a blast through this series, but through this whole series, it's through the book of Mark. And what I'm going to ask you to do is starting today to approach this with the idea that you've never met him before. Because even if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's become so muddy that I think you're going to learn some things. Wow, I thought Jesus was like that, and you're telling me Jesus is like this? Then I'm going to challenge you to say, okay, I'm going to have an open mind here to a certain degree, and I'm going to approach Jesus as if I'm meeting him for the first time. Also, skeptics, people on your journey, I'm asking you to do the same thing. So are you ready? Let's meet Jesus. We come to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus has kept silent. Now he begins to speak. And it says he goes through Galilee and he's proclaiming the good news of God. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, right away, Jesus comes on the scene. How would you like his first words to be? Repent. And what that means is to reverse course because here's what Jesus is assuming in his audience. He's assuming that the flow of the world is very powerful and everybody's going the flow of the world and the flow of the world moves away from God. You have to be intentional to do what Jesus is asking you to do. You gotta stop, you gotta think and think, man, the flow of the world is away from God. I'm the king, I'm the master and commander of my own life. Jesus says, I want you to make a reverse pivot and go the other way and say, no, God is the God of the universe. He's sovereign over my life and I am going to serve him. First thing Jesus says, now, every time I think about this aspect, I go back to one of my favorite works by that great philosopher, theologian, Dr. Zeus, <laughs> in the classic Yertle the Turtle. And if you've read it, he says, I am Yertle the Turtle. I'm king of all I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. So what does he do in the book? It's a great book. He asks all the other little turtles to climb on top of the other little turtles so that he can be at the very top and see more. Because he figures if he sees more, he'll be in charge of more. So he says, I'm Yertle the turtle. Oh, marvelous me, for I am ruler of all that I see. And then the story says, then the turtle on the bottom of the pile did a little thing, a plain little thing, really. He burped. And that thing shook the throne of the king. And today, that great turtle, oh, marvelous he, is king of the mud. That's all he can see. <laughs> so just to show you how fragile our kingdoms that we build are, Yertle the turtle, the great philosopher, theologian, Dr. Seuss, knew more than he let on. Now, Jesus says, repent, turn around, stop building your own kingdom and build a kingdom that matters, the eternal one. First words, he says. Now, second, he says, I came to bring you good news. The Greek word is euangelon, which means news that brings great joy. And right there, folks, right from the get-go, that distinguishes Jesus from every other world, faith, religion, or philosophy. Because here's the difference. In religion, religion gives you advice. It tells you things you must do to come close to God or how to earn your way to God. And it can basically be summed up by the word do. 
Are you with me? Christianity, Jesus comes along and says, I'm not here to give you advice on how to reach God by doing a lot of good stuff. I'm here to bring you news. And it's good news that everything that needed to be done has already been done because Jesus bridged the gap on the cross. So the thing that symbolizes Jesus' philosophy or his faith system is everything you need has been done already. Now, if you're hearing that for the first time, wouldn't you believe that's good news? As tired as you might be on Sunday morning, is that still not good news? Okay. Now, if you look at this next graph, what most world faith systems tell you is that you're here and God is here. There's a huge gap between you and God for different reasons. And faith systems in the world will tell you that you need good works or that you need good deeds or that you need spiritual endeavors or some kind of perfection. And if you achieve all these things, if you make your pilgrimage to Mecca, if you give alms to the poor, whatever, if you do these list of things, then you will be able to cross over to God. But Jesus comes along and he says, I I don't have advice for you. I've just got good news. And the way from here to there is through the cross. Jesus died for your sins. And now that gives you the right to approach God. God has come near. Now that's a huge difference. Now think about this for a minute. We've known that and you might've known that and heard that before, but think about the concept of advice for a moment. How does advice make you feel? Does it make you feel good? When somebody gives you advice about how to be holy, how does it make you feel? Let me give you a few examples here. When I was in uh, Tennessee in junior high school, uh, I was a University of Tennessee basketball fan. Can't stand them now, but there was a time I liked them. And we had what we call the Bernie and Ernie show. And it was Bernard King who went on to play for the New York basketball team in the NBA and uh, Ernie Grunfield. They were a great dynamic duo. Well, Bernard King was like a god, small g, in Tennessee at that time. By the way, he went on with an NBA career and scored 64 points in one game on Christmas Day. I mean, the guy was an amazing player. But we heard when I was in junior high school that he was going to come to our school and tell us how we too could make it to the NBA. Now, remember, I'm 12 years old, and my mom and dad have told me from the day I was born that I was the greatest basketball player on the planet of the earth. And so here comes Bernard King to my school. So I've got my little notepad. Remember those little rainbow pads? Different colors, have my little rainbow pad, my little lunchbox. I took out my pen. I'm going to take notes on how I'm going to get to the NBA. And Bernard King comes to our school and he starts talking about things like this. Getting up at five o'clock in the morning. See right there, that's it right there. I can't, even God is not awake at five o'clock in the morning. And then he starts talking about this work ethic and his diet and what he eats and doesn't eat. These weights that he does, these, these, uh, the, 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 the track, uh, uh, how can I say it? Just this list of 220 meters, 440 meters, one mile, two mile, three miles, after about three hours in the gym that morning. And then he brings out this machine. It was called the jumper. And it looked like something out of a war camp. It looked like a torture machine to me. And you put your shoulders underneath it and you just do this back and forth, time and time. And you try to get the RPMs up as high as you can. And there's resistance. And I tried to get on there and do that thing like one time. And it's like, I'm going to pass out here. I'm going to die. So it talks about all the things. He talks about all the things, the defensive slides. Then he talks about this thing called suicides. That doesn't sound good to me. And so I'm writing all these notes. Finally, after he leaves, let me ask you, do you think I felt better? Do you think a burden had lifted off me? Do you think something great had been done for me? No, I just sat there thinking I'll never make it to the NBA. And it wasn't that I wasn't willing to do those. Okay, I wasn't willing to do those things, but it was more that I was incapable A similar situation happened to me in 1992 when I went up to Pebble Beach. I was given free tickets to watch the U.S. Open. So you think about this. I'd been playing golf, the game of golf, for about five years. I had never seen a live PGA Tour golf tournament. 
The first one I see is the U.S. Open. And if you know anything about the Monterey Peninsula and how the buses drive you to the tournament, you'll know that they drop you off and then you walk between the hedges and there's T number one. So here I am, young, impressionable. I walk through the hedges right in time to see the big three teeing off, Jack Nicklaus, uh, Gary Player, and Arnold Palmer. Now, they are a little bit older in age at this point, but they're still, still hitting the golf ball well. I watch them tee off, and I see their golf balls just rise up in the air and just slightly turn over right in the middle of the fairway. And the sound the ball made as the club made contact. And do you think it made me feel good? Here's what I said to myself. Clearly, I don't know what game I've been playing, but it's clearly not golf. <laughs> it's like a burden. Now, here's the point. Advice doesn't do much for us because it just reminds us of our guilt, reminds us of what we're not. The gospel is the good news that God connects with you, not on the basis of what you've done or haven't done, but upon what Jesus has already done for you. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Ephesians chapter two that says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, a gift, not by work so that anyone could boast. And folks, that's why Christians, when they come into contact with people who are not of the same faith system, do not judge them, do not hate them or oppress them, but sit down because they love them and want to have conversation. That's why Christians serve their enemies rather than oppress them. That's why we love rather than hate. It's why we never become self-righteous or separatist because we know the only reason we're saved, we're no better than anybody else, is through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Imagine, this is the first piece of evidence of the first distinction. The gospel is not advice concerning how to bridge the gap between you and God. It is the good news that the gap has already been bridged by Jesus on the cross. I mean, that would pump you up if it's the first time you've heard it. Now, there's a second distinction. Go back to verse 14 again. Jesus, the Bible says, goes into Galilee, proclaims the good news of God. He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Here again, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, that sets him apart from every other faith system or religion. But here is what's interesting. And once again, what separates Jesus from all these other religions. Many religions will tell you that the world is going to end and then the righteous people will be rescued out of it into this kind of ethereal paradise. Other religions tell you that everything here is an illusion. None of this is real. It's just an illusion. And the only thing that is real is their statement that this is an illusion. Still others say that one day the earth is going to burn up because there's going to experience, or we're going to experience the death of the sun, and then everything will disintegrate, kind of like the last scene in that movie, Knowing, with Nicolas Cage. Remember that? Some of you saw it. Just the earth burns up, fire disintegration. Jesus comes on the scene, and he says that the kingdom of God, the purpose of his coming was to usher in the kingdom of God. And all that that meant. Now stay with me. Dallas Willard puts it like this. All the preliminaries have been taken care of now. The kingdom of God is accessible to everyone. So review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable opportunity. Now what opportunity is he talking about? Now stay with me. This is, oh, this is brilliant in the mind of God and different from any other faith system. Do you remember the movie? Uh, how many Trekkies? Star Trekkies. Come on now. I know you don't want to really confess that, but come on. It's okay. All right, do you remember the Genesis Project? Was that Wrath of Khan? I believe. Maybe not, but one of those, the Genesis Project, some of you will know, it's the process of transforming dead planets by means of genetic explosion. 
So they're gonna shoot life into these planets and what was once dead, they're gonna bring to life beautiful garden like the Garden of Eden. That's why it was called the Genesis Project. Now, in a similar way, the Bible tells us that uh, the power of God's spirit, when we come to the cross, he's gonna do a Genesis Project on us internally that he's going to transform us from the inside out. It, God is going to inject his spirit inside us and give us the power to see things we've never seen, do things we've never done, feel things we've never felt. Now, if you're a skeptic, again, you're probably thinking, that is the looniest thing I've ever heard. But hold on. Think about the coherency of a statement like that. If God exists, you would expect him not to be limited by anything he's created. If you create something, you can't be limited by something you've created so God is above time and space, which means he's not limited by time and space and can be everywhere at the same time. It's nothing if God is spirit for him to be in you and me and others. So he says, when you come to the cross, he's going to renew you. Now, just quickly, how many wish you had a new body? <laughs> I mean, look, they told me that when I hit 50, it would all start going downhill. No, 47 for me, 47. <laughs> and everything just started going south. Look at me. I mean, I'm a mess. All right. So According to the Bible, there's going to be this injection, first of all, in us. Now, our body's going to continue to decay on the outside, but the transformation Jesus promises because of the Spirit is going to give us amazing power. Romans 6 says, verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, or alive to God in Christ Jesus. So offer yourselves to God as though who have been brought back or brought from death to life. There's something that happens. He injects within us the Spirit's power to make us alive to defeat the addictions that plague us, to defeat the temptations that try to destroy us, to win the battlefield of the mind and the thoughts that try to corrupt and take and rob our joy, and to give us the power of living the abundant life. It's a regeneration, theologians call it. It's a genetic explosion. It's the God gene in us. Now, okay, Jeff, what does that have to do with the earth disintegrating and going up in fire, everything. Because the same Bible, the same word, the same Savior, the same Jesus that tells us there's going to be an infection of the Spirit in us to give us power to overcome, tells us in the same way that our bodies cry out, please help me, please give me a new one, please do something, I'm falling apart. And we groan, the Bible says in Romans 8, please help. He says that the creation does the same thing. That the planet... He personifies it to help us understand that the created world cries out, please restore me too. Bring me back to the original. So while all these faith systems and religions talk about the destruction, Jesus talks about renewal and restoration, not only of you and someday your body, but also this planet on which we live. Look at verse 21 of Romans 8 says, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So one day the shackles the creation feels, the created world feels, will be loosed and it will be able to operate as it was originally intended to operate in perfect harmony and community with you and me. Now let me give you a practical illustration to kind of bring this together quickly. When I used to run marathons, okay, I ran one marathon. <laughs> when I was training in New Zealand, Man, I would come in and you know, when you, if you, you know, you're supposed to carry water with you, right? When you train, who wants to carry a jug of water for 22 miles if you're running a long distance? So you're supposed to pick points where you stop and you can get water. Well, I didn't do a very good job of that. So usually I'd come in dehydrated, really, really thirsty. Nothing cures my thirst. Nothing like opening the fridge 
and grabbing the carton of low-fat chocolate milk. I don't know, maybe it's just me. There's nothing better than low-fat chocolate milk. And man, I would open up that fridge and you talk about swigging. And you know, we men, we don't pour it in a glass. When the wives aren't looking, we just chug it right there in the carton. Everybody knows that. It's time for us to come clean. And so I pull it open. I just take this big chai and I just start swigging it, man. It's just going down. Now, on this one occasion, I came in, I did that. It's feeling good. It's really nice and cold going down the esophagus. You know, it feels good. And then it dawned on me after I probably had half of it just all in one take, this chocolate milk is sour. And I want to tell you, as soon as the chocolate milk went down, it was coming back up. And I mean, through my nose and my eyes and everything else, because the chocolate milk had been tainted. Now, I want you to think about something. Now, it's a silly little example, but it really works. Think about it. Chocolate milk in and of itself is good. When it's tainted, it loses its effect. The Bible says that you and I have been tainted because of sin. So we've lost our effect, but also the created world, which was meant to serve us and to give us so much good has also been tainted by sin in the world. And one day he's not going to destroy the planet, nor you or me. He's going to renew us. We're going to be given new bodies. And the thing about these new bodies, they're going to be conducive to the new world, new planet. Now, what does that mean? I don't know exactly, except that some of us think that the whole world's going to burn up, the atmosphere is all going to be destroyed. There is a sense in when it is renewed, renewed atmosphere, the heavens, renewed earth, read Revelation 21. But the beauty of it is that they'll cooperate with each other now, which means I love the ocean, but the ocean can kill you, especially if you don't swim well like me. I mean, I sink right to the bottom. But think about swimming in the ocean. Just think about swimming in the ocean and not having to come up for air. Swimming with the dolphins and the whales, where creation no longer hinders you, but gives you experiences that just go on for infinity. Think about being able to travel through the galaxies because you're no longer limited by this physical body. You can visit planet and other, all the God's creation that we don't even know is still out there. The Bible says, no, it's not the destruction of all things like religions talk about. Jesus says it's the renewal of all things. And even though in Romans 8, 18, the Bible says that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Even though we suffer here, the glory that's coming is unfathomable. So that Tim Keller says in his book on which this series is based, King's Cross, the good news of the kingdom of God is that the material world God created is going to be renewed so that it lasts forever. And when that happens, you'll say like Jewel at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, I've come home at last. This is my real country. This is the land I've been looking for all of my life. We need to pause there for today. We're halfway through Pastor Jeff's message, A Remarkable Calling, a look at what we believe about Jesus that determines everything in our lives. Here's some of what's to come next time. The Bible says that you and I have been tainted because of sin, but also the created world. And one day he's not going to destroy the planet, nor you or me, he's going to renew us. We're gonna be given new bodies. With Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines.
Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.